my name is Andy, um, and <laughs> hello. Um, and I'm actually on staff at the church. Um, my role, I'm full-time as a pastoral intern. Um, and so uh, leading worship, um, kind of working with our small group leaders and occasionally getting to do this. Uh, those are kind of like a lot, the most, the bulk of the things that I do here. Um, but yeah, um, those who do know me might know some of my hobbies, but I guess if you don't know me, these, this, might, this is probably gonna be new to you. Um, but one thing is I, I love collecting sneakers. Um, I got to talk with Neil about that earlier earlier this week, which was like fun. Um, and I was I, like, whenever I'm leading worship, I, I have like a lot of really loud sneakers. So like I actually avoid wearing those because I don't want to like distract people. But I kind of wanted to wear these, like I got the most recent pair that I got was like, it's literally the front half is hot pink, like the hottest pink that you could ever see. But the weather was bad. So I was like, I guess I'm not wearing it. So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing remains to be seen. Um, but uh, I also love uh, like finding really good Texas barbecue. Like I'm not a Texas native. I was born in Galveston, but I didn't grow up in Texas, so it's kind of complicated. Anyway, I'm not a Texas native, but like I love Texas barbecue, like which is superior to like any other form of barbecue. So we can we can debate that if you want, but you'll lose. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Um, and another, like another hobby of mine is I'm from Seattle, so like I I really enjoy like rooting for the Seahawks. Um, and anybody actually, I was thinking about this. The last sermon I preached was the first Sunday of the year, and that was the day after the Seahawks lost to the Cowboys in the playoffs. So I was kind of hoarse after that. So that's like proof that I like legitimately just like scream at the TV. Um, but yeah. So um, the last hobby I'll mention is I actually I I don't think most people know this, but I'm really into like good movies, like finding and watching and kind of even like studying, analyzing really great movies. Um, and it's, I mean, things like, of course, like amazing acting, like some of my favorite actors, actresses like Denzel Washington, Viola Davis. If you ever watched Fences, it came out two years ago. There's one scene in that was just like amazing. Anyway, um, so like amazing acting, beautiful cinematography, you know, great scenery on location, things like that. Um, but I think above all, the thing that makes a movie good to me or something that I enjoy the most is when it's really thought-provoking. So when there's like a really profound philosophical debate at hand or like this really tough moral quandary that the characters are kind of uh, grappling with. Um, and so actually, two weeks ago, as I was starting to pre prepare for this sermon, um, I recently watched, I watched a movie called Upgrade. It came out last year, um, and it's kind of this sci-fi movie. Um, and there's this scene that has stuck with me ever since watching it. And it's a scene where the main character, he's getting this help from a computer hacker. And they're in the middle of this big, uh, big barren cement warehouse room. It's like slightly bigger than this. Um, and they're literally in the middle of it. And around them are all these other people. But they're totally oblivious to the, the two of them, the main character, Gray, and the hacker being there. And it's because they have these ginormous VR headsets over their faces, right? And these, you know, big over-ear headphones. Um, but what makes it even more interesting is that you see each person there, and they have their own IV stand. And um, it, they, so as assumedly, they have like a saline drip for hydration and like a nutrient drip so that they don't have to get off when it's normally time to like eat and drink and whatever. And I think even they have like mattresses next to them so that the v in the VR they can simulate sleep. Anyway, so it's a, it's a very interesting kind of situation. And so the, the main character, Gray, he's sitting there, um, and he's like... Uh, what, what does he say? Um, why would anyone want to live in a fake world? Uh, I'll never understand that. And the hacker's response to him, because uh, the hacker's kind of the one who set this up for all these people. The hacker says, the fake world is a lot less painful than the real one. Um, and you see 
they, the, the camera's on Gray's face as this hacker saying this, and he goes from this really cynical, like stern look, and he just kind of like kind of disconnects. He's um, he feels very lost in that moment, I think. Um, and and a little more context before this moment in the movie. This is a little late, like near the end of the movie. Um, the beginning of the movie, the tension is he lost his wife in a car accident, or actually a murder, I should say. Um, and, and he's a paraplegic. He's lost his ability um, to, to even move his arms. You know, he can just move his head on his own. Um, and so he, he knew by experience the pain and the, and the bite of that statement, that the fake world is often less painful than the real one. Um, and so the big question I kind of, I think that the passage we're going to dig into today kind of explores that idea, amongst other things. Um, is it better to just escape the chaos and the pain of this world um, and go into some fake one, whatever fake one we can make up on our own? Or why, why and how should we not do that? Why and how should we remain present in this real world, the one that does have this cane and this chaos, this, this place where we can't control everything, where we feel we lose, things like that. Um, so I'm going to pray for this morning, and we're going to get into that. God, thank you that, that you provide your word, that you speak to us, that it is living. It is not simply an ancient text, God, but that you provide truth for today, um, that we can see your character, we can know you through the words that you speak to us, God. Uh, in preparing, I know how unworthy I am for this, God. Um, and I thank you that me being up here to share this is not dependent on my worthiness, but it's dependent upon you um, and what you've done through Jesus. Um, so I pray for everybody here. I know uh, with just as many people as there are, there's that many different stories and seasons. Um, I don't know what that looks like for this message, God, but I pray that you would speak to each person uh, in a profound way, God, that, that you would draw them closer to you um, and that your glory would be greater. Um, so I just thank you for this time, this opportunity. Please speak through me or in spite of me. Um, yeah, pray these things in the name of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Um, so uh, back in November, I actually got to preach uh, on Romans 12. We're going to be in Romans 13 today, but I actually wanted to read the first two verses of Romans 12 because that's what I got to preach on then. Um, and it's extremely relevant to kind of how we see this entire passage today. Um, so Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, uh, it'll be on the screen here. Um, there's also Bibles underneath your seats in case you don't have one, you prefer a physical copy. Um, and if you don't own one, you can take that. It's yours. Um, so yeah, I'm going to read Romans 12, 1 to 2. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to Christians in the city of Rome. Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and accepti acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, so in, in, the, in that sermon, in teaching on this two verses, it kind of seems weird or like unnecessary to spend one sermon on just two verses, but there's so much here. And a part of that, one of the critical points that I realized as I was studying that was that this, these two verses is the hinge for the first 11 chapters of Romans into the last five. And the first cha 11 chapters of Romans especially are known very, very widely within the church amongst you know, scholars, experts, theologians, 
It's very conceptual. It's very theoretical. It's establishing all this truth about who God is, what is the condition of man, um, what is salvation through Christ. Um, and so it's going from all this theoretical knowledge, and then Romans 12, 1 to 2 does the pivot of, with all this theoretical knowledge, this is what your life should look like. This is how you put it all into practice. This is how this truth of who God is and who you are in Christ, how, that, how you can live that out. Um, and so I think um, it's, it's, it's really helpful and important to know that what Romans 12, especially verse 1 and, two, what one and 2 speak about, about true worship being, a, being a, having a life of living sacrifice, um, that is what we need to see all these commandments, all these instructions, all these things that are talked about um, in a chapter 13. Um, and really, this whole language of not being conformed to the, to the world, but being transformed, that's, that is kind of the power, that is kind of the uh, way that we can see all this. Um, and so, um, I'm going to now read our actual passage for today, um, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is near to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Um, so the first main section of this passage is the first three verses, eight through 10. Um, and the apostle Paul starts talking about these commandments. And uh, you may recognize a lot of, uh, some of them that, uh, from the 10 commandments, the 10 commandments that God gave to the nation of Israel, his people, his chosen people. Um, and, uh, and then Paul also alludes to all the other laws, all the other commandments that God gave throughout the Old Testament. And it's, it's over 600. It's like 620-something. The, the number's like kind of disputed once you get down to particular ones. But there's over 600 laws. And they pertain to anything from as simple as what your clothing is made out of to, you know, do not make idols before God. It, it's the whole range of, of everything. Um, and so, uh, um, I, I, what is it? Uh, Jesus was with the first to sum up the all the law into the what we know as the greatest commandments which we first see in matthew chapter 22 um so i'm going to read that real quick you don't have to go there it'll be on the screen um but matthew chapter 22 is where jesus is asked by the religious scholars the the elite of the day um what what to make of what they asked him so i'll just i'll just read it from there uh chapter 22 starting at verse 34 but when the pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so we, we see here, it literally says that they're trying to test Jesus. And re- what they're really trying to do is he's this upstart guy who seems to have a lot of knowledge about their, their faith, about their God, about their laws. Um, but they're not happy with him because he's kind of, he's kind of turning the tables on them in a way, uh, flipping their world upside down. Um, and so they're trying to discredit him because the, the, really they're losing their authority. They're losing their influence, um, their kind of respect in society. Um, and, and when, when the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these two groups mentioned in, in this passage, they're both kind of different sects, so they kind of have different philosophies about how to interpret all these 600-something laws that God had given um, the people. And really, in, in, in the way that they did this, they kind of missed the forest for the trees, essentially. Um, we don't have time to dig into like, all the ways in which they interpreted the law versus how Jesus kind of explained the law. Um, but yeah, so J- Jesus sums up all their laws. He says, uh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we, he, Jesus make this, makes this clear connection. There's this inextricable tie between our love for God, our worship of God, with our love for our neighbor. Um, and and in, in, different, in a different passage of scripture, um, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's where Jesus, where someone literally asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus explains, your neighbor can be literally anybody. It can be your closest friend. It could be your worst enemy. It's whoever is in your life. It doesn't matter how much you like them or dislike them. Um, so he, he establishes that. And what's, what's really, uh, what's further kind of uh, illuminating is that Jesus himself was the fulfillment of this law. And so in Matthew 5, I'm going to turn there. You don't have to turn there either. It should also be on the screen. Um, but Matthew 5, 17 to 19 Um, This is what Jesus says about himself. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and as, as I was reading this this morning, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so much pressure. <laughs> like, whoever teaches these, like, it, and, you know, makes them not important, that's their, that they're accountable for that and vice versa, right? So, um, no pressure on me, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, so Jesus says, he didn't come to abolish the law, which is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people that thought they knew God's law, that's what they thought he was doing that he was just tossing it all out the window, you know, starting from, from blank, uh, for, forgetting everything that God had showed them. But this, was the, this is the same God that Jesus was, that had given these laws. And so Jesus assures them. He's like, I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to fulfill it, all the law and all the prophets. Um, and so the, it, when we look at the life that Jesus lived, the death that he died, the resurrection he accomplished, those were all fulfillment of the law, the law of love that God had given his people. And that's the way that God had intended the law from the very beginning. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just in and of itself about any one of these things. It, the end goal was not to have people who were really stiff-necked and well-dressed and all these. That was not the point. The point was love. Um, and so the, the bottom line that I kind of drew from this first section of this passage uh, was that fulfilling the law of love is what Jesus did. 
um, and what God also calls his people to do in response. Now that we've seen Jesus do that, um, we can live the same way. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not about how we politic Christian morals, even though politics are, can be a good thing, a constructive thing, we advocate for justice, but it's not about us forcing our morals on people. It's not about shaming sinners. Um, it's, about, it's about love. Fulfilling the law is about love. Um, so that's, that's the kind of the first point um, from this passage. So now, um, the, second, the second part of this passage, verses 11 and 12. Um, I'm going to read that just so that we don't, uh, so that we can get back into it. Let's see. Sorry, kind of got lost in here. All right. So Romans 13, verses uh, 11 and 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So the first thing I think I wanted to hone in on here was this, this whole, the second sentence actually, which says, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And so given the context where Paul is talking to people that are already Christians in the city of Rome, he's not talking actually about their individual salvation of, you know, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior um, and having eternal salvation. That's already established. That's a given here. What he's actually referring, what Jesus is referring to now is the, the kind of the culmination of salvation that God will bring for the entire universe, bringing a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and so, um, it's, even though Jesus defeated sin and, and we, we can have salvation through him, um, it's, it's at this, the, this, the, his second coming and the coming of the new heaven and the new earth when sin will not only be defeated, but it will be completely erased. Um, so I think that's really helpful and important to re realize that, that Paul is talking about something that's so much more universal and grand than just any one soul, even though those are important as well. Um, and so, this, he then he, so he says, it's nearer to us now than when we first believed. Um, and this kind of, uh, kind of falls in line also with things that Jesus said about his own second coming, his second coming kind of being the initial benchmark. I'm not an expert in eschatology, so if ever anyone is, please don't <laughs> skewer me on this. But my, my general understanding is that um, Jesus' second coming, that is kind of the initial event to mark when the new heaven and the new earth will be brought in by God. Um, and so, uh, what is it? Um, the, Jesus says actually about himself, about his second coming, that no one will know when that time will be. He talks about in Mark 13, amongst other places, um, that not even he will know. Only the Father knows when Jesus is coming again and therefore when the new heaven and the new earth will, will, be, will be here and when evil will be absolutely erased, right? Um, and so it, I think, honestly, like for me, that, that sh it, it makes sense that we feel a sense of urgency. I don't know if any of you feel that in you, but this idea that, um, that the opportunity for people to be reconciled to, to God through Christ, that, that opportunity is fading away, and we don't know how quickly it's fading away. We have no idea. It could literally be like now, you know, like the whole like Thanos snap, except not in a bad way. Um, but, you know, like it, it could literally be tomorrow. It could be a month. It could be 10 years. We don't know. The, Christ, the Christians right after Jesus ascended, they thought it could be tomorrow for them, you know? Um, so we have no idea. Um, and so because of that, we should feel this sense of urgency if we really do desire this world to be reconciled to God, if we desire people to, who are lost and far from God to be reconciled to him. Um, 
You know, and, and, and the Great Commission, which is found in, at the very end of, of Ma- the book of Matthew, when Jesus is about to go back into ascend into heaven after all the work, all the, the death, the resurrection, um, he, the last commandment he gives to his disciples is, go and make disciples of all nations, right? And so uh, I, you know, I think of the Great Commission as kind of the most important way that we are faithful to the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving people. Because if we desire the glory of God, and we care for the souls of others, we care for the eternity of others, we care for their joy, their peace, their happiness, then we will go and make disciples of all nations, spreading the good news of the gospel. Um, so then we're, we're kind of hit also in this passage, with, in this section of the passage, with these metaphors of night and day, of waking and sleeping. Um, and, and I feel kind of stupid because I didn't really make the connection between those two until like this morning. I don't know how that kind of like just blew over my head, but it did. Um, but I'm glad kind of God, God showed that. But, um, you know, I, this, this idea, what, what, what does Paul say here? Paul says, um, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And then at the start of verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Um, and so what he's, this sleep that he's talking about um, you know, I think he's talking about not literal, like, sleeping your eight hours or f- three hours that I got last night. <laughs> um, well, however much sleep you get normally. Um, he's not talking about our literal sleep, but I think he's talking about the sleep that comes from the night that was sin. So the night is far gone. Because Jesus has come, that night is over. But before that, the, we, there was no hope. The s- sin had, had total kind of, kind of free will at that point. Um, and so I think this idea of waking from sleep, um, it, 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 it talks about when we, when we dwell in sin, we, when we are dwell, dwelling in sin now, like as whether you're a believer or non-believer, um, we're putting ourselves back to sleep essentially is, what, is what's happening. And I'll kind of dig into this more right now. Um, and actually, I, I kind of made this connection. Um, I, I don't know if anyone, is, is anyone familiar with the term woke? Like, like you've heard it, you, it, for some people may have negative connotations to it. Some people may have positive. You know, I'm not I'm not ascribing one thing or the other, um, but it's it's used uh, as like in like social justice kind of like spheres um, to talk about people who have finally realized kind of the injustices in the systems that they are in, the the communities, the governments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so the the idea being that you are awake and you are aware of kind of all the the injustice that is around you, and therefore you're no longer complicit in it. Um, oblivious to, you're not oblivious, you're not complicit, and maybe even actively participating in it if you're woke. Again, not saying that's like super important, but I just think it's, it's a very relevant kind of like thing for considering our cultural moment. Um, but yeah, so when we're asleep, go, thinking about like literal sleep, what are we? We're immobile, and we're oblivious, and we're useless. Um, and so what does sin do? It, it misdirects us and it incapacitates us from being a part of God's redeeming work, the work that Jesus did in fulfilling the law while on earth. It, it, like sin distracts us from that. It, it sabotages that effort. Um, and, you know, talking about sin is kind of weird depending on your background. Like if you grew up in certain church, churches where it's super legalistic, where they're always like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Or if you did come from an unchurched background and when you think of sin, you just think of like, Christians kind of pointing fingers at people who like drink or smoke or dance or whatever it is, right? Um, I'm not going to go into the rabbit trail there. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's easy to think of sin as this arbitrary list of do nots um, that 
is, is that God is like putting that God established to stop people from having fun. But I think again, like the Pharisees, that's missing the forest for the trees. Um, because the because what the Pharisees did was they kind of analyzed everything in a very decontextualized, very literal way, and it prevented them from seeing how everything in this greater narrative kind of wove, wove together. Um, and honestly, there are sins that are very explicitly pointed out throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Um, but I don't think it's because of the thing in and of itself, in as much as it's about what does that do to you, and how really most sins that God points out. It's about um, overindulgence, or it's, it's um, j- just directing you towards yourself. It's pulling you away from God and from others. Um, and I think especially what's really tough, in, uh, I know it's tough for me, I, I'm, I hope some people can relate, um, but s- the ideas of self-control and self-denial, that is so much a part of what is kind of the, uh, the foil to, to sin, this overindulgence or this misdirection towards self. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard to exercise self-control and self-denial in a world now where pretty much anything is at our fingertips. If you have a smartphone and if you have a credit card, you can Amazon anything, you can favor anything, you can lift yourself anywhere, whatever it is, right? All these things, it's instant gratification. Um, but, and, and, it, and I think God knows that. I mean, God's the God of the universe, so he's aware of kind of the struggles we have today. Um, but, you know, it's, it's even though we have access, it doesn't mean we should take it all the time. Um, and if we think about the life of Jesus, the life that Jesus lived was one of self-denial. It's not like he was, you know, like literally on the street begging for bread, but he wasn't indulging every single impulse that he had. Um, and part of that is that he's fully God, so he's kind of like not, I mean, he faced temptation, but he's God, so he's not going to fall to temptation. We're kind of in a different, slightly different camp, but still, um, the life that we, as- we should aspire to live is to live this one of self-denial, right? Um, and honestly, the, the, the sins that I think are most common, especially if you're, tr- you know, like, a, if you are a Christian, you're a Christ follower, um, there's still sin that we struggle with, and some of it seems really innocuous. Like, for me, I'm, like, it's, like, honestly, it's, it's, it's really embarrassing, I guess, but, like, things like spending just a ton of time on the internet, like, watching YouTube videos and things like that, it's just, like, a waste of time. Like, it's, it's good for a moment. Like, rest is good. I'm not, like, we can't get into the theology of recreation and stuff. That, that's true. Um, but it's so easy to cross that line of, like, this is restful to this is laziness. Um, I don't know if anyone can relate with that. But, like, if you binge Netflix, I imagine you struggle with that at some point or another. It's really easy to just be like, all right, I'll just watch the next episode. Why not, you know? Um, and kind of thinking back to the imagery of, of that movie that I mentioned at the beginning, um, where these people are escaping their painful world into a fake reality, which presumably is more pleasurable and more controlled, and you know, they, can, they can kind of tailor everything to what they want. Um, really, what, what that is, is that's, that's a self-medication. That's an escape. Um, and I think I'm coming to start to realize the things in my life that are little escapes and self-medications, things that pull me away from God. And that's what, that's what makes it sinful. It's not the thing in and of itself, but it's how I use the thing, why I use the thing, what the thing does to me. Um, and what, what escape and self-medication, I realize, they're, they're these impotent, self-driven attempts to solve the emptiness and pain that we feel, um, to solve it with, with comfort or numbness. Um, whether, so like detaching like these people did in their, in their VR reality or to just kind of like consume just immediate gratification like I was mentioning. 
Um, and, you know, I think there, there was a time, I mean, some people struggle with very deep senses of emptiness. Hopefully most of us don't right now, but, you know, there was a time in my life where um, I, I wasn't the worst I could be, but I was at a point where I, I, I was considering taking my own life. This was sometime in high school, um, struggling with a lot of identity issues. Um, but, you know, I, that was, uh, obviously, it's a dark time. And if you've ever been there, you know that. Um, and, but, you know, there's these words that someone said, I, I can't remember for sure who said it, but that stuck with me. It's not like necessarily a biblical truth directly, but um, that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, and I don't, I don't want to uh, downplay the seriousness of that, um, the, uh, of, of feeling like you, that, that's your only option, because that's where a lot of people end up. They feel like that's the only option, and it's, it's tragic. So, again, I hope you're not in that place right now. Um, but if you are, you know, I, 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 I'm really urging you. This is kind of like a tangent, but I'm really urging you, like, please talk to somebody about it. Don't let it be something that you, that you struggle with on your own because it's so easy to just let lies kind of, like, barrage you and, and de- deceive you um, in, that, in that position. Um, so, like, find people that are close, hopefully people that, that love Jesus because I think there's a little more hope there than you can just, like, kind of keep going. Um, which is kind of like, honestly, the only, uh, I guess, non-biblical kind of solution to it. Um, but yeah, and if, you, and if you don't have that person, I know it may seem like a really like, tough like, uh, suggestion, but like, you, can, you can talk to me. Like, I, I, I'll make myself safe for you, whatever that looks like. Um, but yeah, again, not, not too much of a tangent, but that's a serious enough topic that I thought it was worth kind of going into for a second. Um, but again, I don't think, I hope most of us aren't in that place right now. But I think to, to lesser degrees, we struggle with this feeling of emptiness at times, even though we are trying to walk daily with Jesus. Um, and so it's really easy to do these small things, things that, again, seem innocuous, but they really are self-indulgences and temptations. Um, so, again, reali- we have to realize that sin is what pulls us away from God, it what pulls us pulls away from others, and therefore stops us from being obedient to this call to fulfill the law. Um, and we need to take, and so for, if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, that means we, we should take our sin seriously. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, we should, not, not trying to attain our salvation, but taking seriously the life that we can live now and what life we're being stopped from living because of our sin. Um, and so the bottom line from this part of the passage is that sin puts us all to sleep, um, and it prevents us from fulfilling the law of love. Um, and really, we, we need to be living, urgently loving lives because of the fact that we don't know when that opportunity for people to be reconciled, um, when that opportunity will be gone. All right, I'm really behind, so we need to pick up the pace. <laughs> so uh, this last passage, thankfully we're on the last, last, last section of the passage, verses 12 to 14. All right, um, I'm going to read that real quick. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Um, So this is a lot of uh, really practical stuff that we have here that we're about to get into. And I just want to give a quick caveat. Um, There's a lot of things that we are being called to do by God in this passage but it doesn't, don't mix it up with we need to earn our salvation. We cannot earn a place into heaven. 
That's the whole, the whole basis of the Christian faith is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. So that's, that's, that's my uh, pretext for getting into all this very practical stuff because it can be really easy to confuse how do I live my life with how do I earn my eternity. It's, we're not earning our eternity here, okay? All right. So, um, you know, um, with, there's this put-on imagery. Paul uses this phrase twice, put on the armor of light, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and I kind of immediately thought about what, 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 like, what is that eliciting? It's this idea of like putting on a, a piece of clothing, clothing, a garment. And um, in the first context, um, he's talking about armor, armor of light, right? So it's protective. You know, I was thinking about the polar vortex that was happening up north. I think it's over now, thank goodness for them. But like, I think temperatures were like minus 40, minus 50, and I've never experienced anything close to that. I doubt most of us here have, unless you're from up there. But like, I, I just imagine like, if I did not have like three thick down jackets and I just walked out like this, I would be on the ground in a few minutes, like maybe less than a minute, you know? Like it's, that is, it kills you. Like it's, it's no joke, right? And so part of this idea of putting on the armor of light, it's for our protection. Um, and then, but then this other thing is kind of a little more abstract at first, putting on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to put on a person? It's not like we're piggybacking him or like carrying him on our shoulders or like firemen's, I don't know. You know, like what does that look like? Um, and Galatians 3 20, uh, 23 to 29 uh, talks about this. I'm not going to read it all, but um, basically the point of this passage of, of Galatians 3, which is another letter from Paul to a different church, um, he, he uses the phrase, put on, put on Christ. Um, and really, and what the context says is that we, we have put on Christ in a sense when we have come into faith, that we have been baptized into the body of Christ, that is the church. We are made members of the church when we uh, come to faith in Christ. And so part of that is kind of already done deal. But then he uses, he alludes to the imagery of being a part, a member of the body of Christ, which we've already dug into a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and Paul talks about at numerous points. And that whole, uh, that whole theology of being the body of Christ, it's very much this, what part do you play? Um, how do you serve others and how do they serve you in this grander universal work that God is doing? Um, and so... Putting, I think putting on Jesus in this context of Romans 13 is us, and on top of that, he, he also uses this phrase, walk properly as in the daytime. And so kind of connecting those two, um, I interpret that to mean that putting on Jesus is us being willing and proactive participants in the body of Christ if we are believers. Um, so that means basically not just sitting in a pew, um, like literally just sitting in a pew, right? But being a part of community and serving on, you know, in our context on Sundays or other, other ministry teams that we have. Um, wherever you are in, in, within the, the global church, the big C church, um, being a part of it, not just saying I need to be fed, but saying how can I help others? How can I lead others to, into a life with Jesus? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I also made this connection this morning about this walk properly metaphor. Not only does it talk about kind of just like the life Jesus like Think, it makes me think about the life Jesus lived, how he engaged people, how he kind of stooped low to, to engage the needy and the sick and the weary, the destitute. That's, those are very much what it looks like for us to put on Jesus Christ to walk properly as in the daytime. But even better is, is how it, it makes me think of Jesus walking out of the tomb on the third day. Um, you know, there's, the, again, this, this idea of the night of sin, that those, those three nights of, sin, of, of darkness for him how long of a night that felt. Um, but he, at the end of it, he walks out. Not the night is far gone, 
and, and sin is trampled underfoot, and he can walk gloriously into the daylight. Um, and so this was only possible because Jesus maintained fellowship with, with the Father and the Spirit, and I mean, he's man and God at the same time, so it's not something we can do on our own, but again, this idea of walking as Jesus did in the constant fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. Um, and so the, there's, it, the very practical part is make no provision for the flesh. It's the very end of this, the verse 14, very end of this passage. Make no provision for the flesh. And so I think this is relevant whether or not you, you consider yourself a, a believer in Jesus or not, but I think it's especially helpful when, when we are following Jesus because this shows us what, what our part is. There's, there's very much, like, the spirit is, is the, the, the power within us, the being within us, the very presence of God that enables us, that encourages us, that directs us, that corrects us, that convicts us. But then our part is to make no provision. And so, I mean, honestly, it's pretty simple. Just, like, you, you, you remove temptation from you as much as you can. We can't control everything, but the things that we can control. Um, that, I think, like, for the longest time, I was not cool with the idea of, like, like the culture of like accountability partners in the church, like having someone who you can check in with w about any sort of like habitual per persistent sin that you're trying to um, walk in freedom from. Um, but I see like passages like this make it clear why we need it. Because honestly, for me at least, I have terrible self-discipline, like I've already kind of mentioned, um, and I'm forgetful and I'm lazy and every other thing that makes me want to drift towards sin rather than drift towards godliness. Um, so. Maybe the, you know, like, I don't know if you've been struggling with that, if you don't have a, someone in your life, but I would encourage that. It's not a mandate, but I would very much encourage it um, if, if you haven't thought about it or, you know, if you've been thinking about it. Um, you know, and so <laughs> the kind of the bottom line from this section of the passage, we have to daily choose this walk. We have, it, it's, it's not something that we can expect to just happen. It's not going to happen by itself. Um, but, you know, like this idea of staying woke, basically. We, we have to be aware of the sin that's around us. We have to know what, cause, what, what um, tempts us into sin um, if we want to, to fulfill the law of love. Um, so, uh, kind of wrapping all this up, there was two questions I asked at the beginning. And the first was, is it better to just escape? Is it better to just detach and numb ourselves from the world that we, that we are in, whether we like it or not? Um, and I do, I, all I can say to that is the numbness of escape and the pleasure of self-indulgent, they're, they're fleeting and they're insufficient and they're deceiving. They're not permanent solutions. Um, they're not permanent solutions that will resolve things. It may end things, but it doesn't resolve things. Um, and I thought of this quote from C.S. Lewis, who, a 20th century writer, you know, wrote, wrote Chronicles of Narnia. He was a kind of a, a what would you call it, a peer of J.R.R. Tolkien, writer of Lord of the Rings. Um, anyway, I want to read this quote. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. So, the second question was, why and how should we be present in the chaos and the pain? And this quote by C.S. Lewis, I think, kind of starts getting us on the right track. 
and the imagery that Paul uses. The night is far gone. Jesus has ended the monopoly that sin once had on this world. Jesus has ensured that the chaos and the pain are temporary. They're not, they're not unreal. They are very real right here and right now. Well, I'm not dismissing that. But they are not permanent the way we are so tempted to feel that they are. Um, and not only that, but the day is at hand. The dawn is just over the horizon. And the, it's the dawn of an eternal day, an eternal day where death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for all of God's people. That is the promise of the dawn and the day that is coming, that Jesus has, has heralded in. Um, and so fulfilling this law of love that Paul talks about at the beginning of this passage, loving our neighbor, it means that we invite as many people as we can into that, in the way we walk, the way we talk, everything about our lives. Um, so if, you know, if, if you're here and you're not someone who believes in Jesus, I, I just want to pose this question to you. If it's true that we were made for another world and that God has promised this world where there is no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more sorrow, and if it's possible to have intimate, joy-filled, peace-filled fellowship with, with our Creator, if that is possible through Christ, what, what, will, will you embrace Jesus as Lord? Will you accept that invitation into that eternal day? freedom from the night. Um, you know, like I, like I mentioned a few times, life is filled with moments where it feels like the darkness has no end and, and it's, it's never going to get brighter. Um, but through, with Jesus at our side, with the Holy Spirit of God living in our very bones, um, we have a proven winner on our sides. We don't have to do it all on our own. We don't have to walk it alone. We don't have to, we don't have to just hope, like, hope, hope our way through it. We know, we, we know that we have a, a guide through it, all of it. Um, and, you know, this, this all is simple in principle in a way, <laughs> but extremely difficult in practice. And, I mean, I'm sure a lot of us can attest to that already. It's really easy to, to understand this, but a whole other ballgame to do it. Um, but, you know, and I think that's a good thing in a way because it, it requires us to have a day-by-day dependence on God to be in fellowship with him to be in fellowship with one another. Uh, you know, when, 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 when the enemy is trying to tempt us and deceive us and di- direct us away from God, um, depending on God's word, depending on the spirit through, through one another to, to lift us up, to redirect us, to, to lift our eyes. Um, and so, you know, for, for, those that are, for those of you that have already submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, that's, that's your opportunity. That's my invitation to you. Um, that's my, I guess, my, also my request for you to help me do that because I can't do it all. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, God, uh, thank you that you have invited us to the table, that you have made a way, that you have crossed the gap, 
You have built the bridge, God. You have walked over and you've come alongside us in our, in our struggles, in our sins, um, in our fears, in our failures, God. I thank you that, that you have made a way through Jesus. Thank you that he is the one way that we don't have to search for any other possible solutions, but we know that you, ha- you have made the one solution, God. Um, I just pray for anybody here, God, that, that, that's struggling right now, honestly, like I am. Um, I pray that they found encouragement from you, that they found um, inspiration from you, God, that they found a sense of urgency, um, a sense of affection for you and your kingdom, God. Uh, and I pray that that would drive us to, to live lives um, where we are inviting people to walk in freedom in the daylight, um, walk into the, the eternal day that you, that you are bringing, God. Um, so I just thank you for this time. Um, pray that you would be glorified. Pray these things in the name of your son. Amen. <laughs> Oh
so now we're going to move into a time of offering. And um, I just like to think about how everything that um, we have from our God-given talents um, to the clothes we're wearing to our opportunities to our money, our jobs, our homes, um, it's all a gift from God, um, all gifts that we did nothing to deserve. Um, and so in light of um, acknowledging the gift he's given us and the ways he's blessed us, um, it should motivate us to give back um, what is his to him. Um, so I want to encourage everyone um, to, uh, during this time, just uh, if you have that feeling of um, gratefulness to God and um, the people who he's put um, to serve him and um, serve the body, um, to give um, an offering not out of obligation or of guilt, but of true um, willingness and joyfulness that you get to um, serve and give God back what he's given us and gratefulness for that. Um, so we're pa we'll pass baskets um, that you can place um, that in, or there's going to be ins there's instructions on the screen if you prefer to give um, mobily. Um, so let's pray for our offering. Um, dear God, thank you for um, everything you've blessed us with. Um, and we just thank you that you allow us to be part of your um, work and um, have blessed us with this church as well. Um, I pray that you would help our hearts um, and our attitudes be willing and joyful givers and that um, you would just bless this offering and multiply it. And in your name, amen.
great truth um, just hearing after Alexis and Andy and just worshiping uh, that we believe in Jesus and all of this is possible because of him. Um, thank you all so much for being with us today. It's been really fun to have our church family and then some of our, I guess, blood family here with us um, all coming together. So we're really glad that you've come with us today. Um, like Andy and Alexis had said, um, to go through life together, we live as a family and to go through the struggles, to find your accountability partner or multiple of them, we do that through our transformation groups. And so if you are not in a transformation group and you um, are interested in finding a community about learning more, even this week we'll be discussing the verses and how that applies to our life individually, not just as a whole. And we do that together so you're not in this journey alone. Um, we have a board outside, I think Alexis mentioned, that has um, all of our locations. And so just pick up a card. Um, you can give your leader a heads up just because so then someone knows that you're like knows to look out for you and kind of guide you if parking's weird because I hate walking to things when I don't know what parking looks like. But they can help guide you in that or just show up. Um, we would love for you to join us in that journey. And also, as you'll see in my announcements, I don't have that many because everything, our life is through our transformation groups. Um, but I do have one announcement coming up in less than a month. Um, we have a space for women at our women's retreat. And so this is just kind of a time we're going to go to Round Top, which is about an hour and a half outside the city. Um, it's just really a time to kind of for women to rest, to recharge, and to build relationships. So if there's kind of people in the church who are like, man, I like really want to get to know her better, and I feel weird asking her to coffee, like this is a great time to come because you're kind of stuck separate away from everybody else. And we also have a great opportunity to have three of our own women at the bridge teaching this weekend, and it's just a blessing to see women exercising their gifts in that way. And so um, we are really excited about that. So if you want to sign up for Women's Retreat, um, you can go to the um, to the app or our website, and we have um, a link there for registration. And so we would love for you to join us. If you are interested in helping out, um, putting on the retreat behind the scenes, if you're a planner or a cook or can make things look pretty because that's my weakness, um, I would love your help in that. Um, you can contact me. Um, I'm Karen, Karen at thebridgemontrose.org. Um, and also, if you need financial help, um, we don't want costs to be a prohibited to coming to retreat. So please talk to me, and we'll get you a scholarship. Um, and so I'm going to close us with prayer, and we're just going to go about our day. Um, dear Lord, as we just reflect on the truth that you shared with us today, Lord, I pray that all of us look at our lives and see where are we sleeping, Lord, and that we see that the day has come and it's time to awake, Lord. I pray that that brings an urgency within us, Lord, knowing that we don't know when the end of time is coming, Lord. And so it is an opportunity for us to reach others with the love of Christ, Lord, not um, out of selfish motivation, Lord, but just an outpouring of the love that you've given us. And so, Lord, um, just as we go throughout our week, Lord, I pray that we look for opportunities to love each other more, Lord, as a family of God, by sharing our burdens, by being a safe place for people to land when they're struggling, Lord, but also, Lord, knowing that that comes from being open and honest with each other and open and honest with you, Lord, because you know our hearts, you know our motivations, Lord, and you are the only one who can change that. Um, so, Lord, I pray that we just lean into you and that you're guiding us in our steps as we follow you and your son. 
Um, Lord, just, just thank you for everything you've done, Lord, that as we've said, like this we believe, Lord. We believe in you and your goodness and your love that you've come and saved the world, Lord, and that is the greatest gift that we've ever received. It's your name that we pray. Amen. If y'all want to help us out and stack chairs to the side, that would be great. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Flicker of sight to a 